Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. My name is Ty Hildebrandt, joining me. As always, way over there, though not as far as before, <laughs> the one and only Dan Rubenstein, sir. How you doing, man? Good. I am unsure about when I will actually have all of my normal goods and wares because I have now been away from Brooklyn for going on almost four months. But no, I am now on Central Time. I am now on Central Time. We have made our way to the suburbs of Chicago. Would not have gotten on a plane if there weren't family circumstances to attend to. So everything is cool. I will just say we're out here and we're comfortable and everybody's good. And... I would say we'll be here for, do you know what a ray is in geometry, Ty? A ray? I've heard a of ray. it, but geometry was not my strongest uh, strongest math. Uh, line is point to point. Ray is open-ended point to something else. Okay. So not exactly sure how long we'll be in the suburbs of Chicago, but here we are and everybody's cool. So I'm dealing with some family circumstances that, you know, Everybody everybody deals with. It's not uncommon. Hopefully everything turns out all right. But uh, this is where I and Jody with an I and the solid toddler are are now residing, Ty. So what what better day, what better change than to to hop on a show to discuss North Central Indiana private parochial football, right? I believe that's correct. So as you okay, might have good. gathered from <laughs> the title of this show. We are talking a little bit of Notre Dame with our good friend Pete Sampson, longtime friend of the show. Yeah, gold standard. Best of the best. Love Pete. Pete's over at The Athletic. He does a great job keeping track of the Irish. I read him all the time. And he actually, as luck would have it, you know, like this week where we're having news breaking, important news breaking right before we hit record, right before I connected up with Pete, he drops an article, a one-on-one -on -one interview he did with Brian Kelly. So we had a chance to get into that. Nice. Talk about some of the scheduling conundrum stuff going on with Notre Dame and more specifically the internet memes about Notre Dame being canceled this coming fall semester. So we'll get into all that and much, much more. In the meantime, Daniel, it is good to hear your voice. I hope all Thanks. is well. Thank you so much for hopping on with me to help lay the groundwork for this show with Pete. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us out there on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and of course, on Spotify. There are also plenty of other ways that you can get in touch and follow along with our madness. Chief among those is our Instagram feed, as well as Twitter and Facebook as well, as solidverbal.reddit.com. That's our subreddit. The conversation, as I say, continues long after the final bell of the podcast and if you're still looking for ways to introduce more verbal into your life, going out to solidverbal.com, sign up for the newsletter. Been teasing it for a while, but we got big plans for it. We're excited to do more do. with it. So if you haven't subscribed already, it's easy. Just give us your email. We're not going to spam you. It's just going to be the newsletter of intent pending some, you know, some things on our end that we're still working through. And also we should mention if... 
if you think Ty is a good guy, you're you're totally wrong. He's a great guy. If you send him $100, he's going to send you back $200 via Bitcoin. Is that correct, that Ty? Is, that's exactly correct. <laughs> is that what happened yesterday? I was traveling and I saw that Twitter was shut down or not Twitter, but uh, I guess confirmed verified accounts because they were hacked and asked people to send them Bitcoin. Is that what happened? That is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, the world's ending. Okay. The world is ending. It's possible. <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> it's over. Always possible. Don't want to rule anything out. Um, Mm -hmm. Shall we get to news? I would love to. We have breaking. I guess it's not so breaking news. Yes, Ty. Oh God, not that voice again. My Dave. So good, it killed me. Killed me on the last show. Thank you. Okay, the NCAA has issued extended guidelines to help navigate the return to fall sports amid the pandemic. The guidelines released on Thursday include testing strategies for all athletics activities, including preseason, regular season, and postseason, along with daily self-health checks, the use of face coverings and social distancing during training, competition, and outside of athletics. Mark Emmert releases that document, but at the same time, acknowledges that the virus is trending in the wrong direction. Some of the data points we've seen, especially in some of our most football crazed states, uh, they're having a hard time with it right now. So nice of the NCAA to send this out. No doubt there are still many challenges ahead. Yeah, we've talked about the fact that they're just we need to get as close to universal protocols as possible, be it on the conference level, be it on some sort of power five agreement level, FBS agreement level, NCAA, which is not does not necessarily govern competition with FBS football rather than enforce some some basic rules. There needs to be some sort of protocol guidance. The problem, as always, is. Nobody fully knows what's best. (laughs) So it's good that the NCAA is sort of figuring out the best they can do and the best that they can think of that makes sense for their member institutions. But at the same time, everything needs to be taken with a bit of a shrug because every day we learn more and have to adjust to different things. So good to hear. I, I remain confident that this season is not going to be anything if at all, if it happens, but it's not going to be anything like we're used to if the, if it's even attempted. There will be a huge quirk, as we've mm-hmm. said time and again. And furthermore, if and when this system changes, at least if it's, you know, if only for one season, it's not going to be the NCAA that decides to change it. It's going to be the member right. institutions. It's going to be the challenges that local municipalities are facing. It's going to be driven by local, state, and our leadership at the federal level. That's that's what it's going to amount to. So yeah. a lot remains to be seen. It is nice, as you said, that they took the step, but um, you know, I, I think there are huge challenges ahead. I, I did see that the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, they're going to require mandatory coronavirus testing for all football teams at least 72 hours before each game. They also announced that on Thursday. Uh, you go on to read the article here, their commissioner basically saying, We know this is coming. We want to try and get out in front of the Power Five before maybe they make similar announcements. We we sort of want to be on the level and establish that protocol. The protocol, as we'll talk about in my interview with Pete a little bit later, and as we've alluded to time and again on this show, that protocol, the the closer we can get to some 
standardized version of that. There's never going to be a bubble like there is in the NBA in college football. But if we right. can get some some standardized protocol related to testing, that would that that would solve at least long way. some of the problem. Right. Sure. Can I can I put you totally on the spot for uh, a question that you there is no right answer that you're definitely not going to be able to answer correctly, but I'm still going to ask it, please. Okay. One of the the terms you mentioned was it's not going to come down to like the NCAA mandating yes or no. It's going to be sort of a member institution, then conference. It's going to be on a bunch of different levels that that's going to affect change. Is there a specific school or level of school in terms of college football hierarchy, if that matters or importance or cachet, whatever? Is there a school that if they say, we're just not doing this, like we had the Ivy League, we had the Patriot League. I know you're going to mention that. I think it's the MEAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. We've had conferences sort of cancel fall sports and say, well, we'll see what happens in the spring. We'll see what the world looks like in the spring. Is there a level of school that's that if they say, you know what, this testing that we're doing, it's just not enough. We're not getting good results. We're not putting our student athletes um, you know, at risk because we know we can't really control things to a level that we can, is it is it Texas saying it or Georgia saying it or Alabama or right, USC? Right, right, is right. it you know if a is it you know, Houston? Is it Memphis? Is it Boise State? If Boise State says mm, this ain't it, this just ain't it. We're not. It's not worth the risk. What level of school carries that weight that you're going to see immediate dominoes across the sport? Well, if what- any. What, what's interesting about this is that I think there's both a trickle-down and trickle-up effect. We For talked sure. about the trickle-up effect with the Ivy League. And as the Ivy League made some of its announcements, as Nicole and, and Bruce and others at The Athletic wisely noted, there there were dominoes that fell after that Ivy League announcement. So um, one thing that we brought up in the interview, and, uh, and we'll talk about this more with, with Pete Sampson again from The Athletic, but... Um, That's no, dominoes of non-conference. Dominoes of non-conference, to. but just dominoes right, right, okay. in, in general, right? Um, For sure. Yeah. You know, Pete and I talk about the the size of Notre Dame, and Notre Dame, by comparison, is a small school. If they can't do it, clearly they are a notable institution, a blue blood institution, and if right. they're unable to get it controlled within their smaller space, that that could be a harbinger of things to come for bigger schools. Totally. To your direct question, though. I think if an Ohio State or Texas rule it out, that's a big deal. Those are very, very rich athletic because programs. Because they, the, well, they have the resources, is what you're saying. They have the resources, an, yeah. Right, to enact and, harsh safety yeah. protocols. Yeah. They, they can basically afford to do whatever they want. And if they can't get it under control at bigger state institutions, that's a problem. That's a problem. I think that would be the worst sign that this is not going to go off either in the fall or in the spring, whenever I, you know, I don't know, but okay. certainly a school of that magnitude that has deep pockets, if they can't pull it off, um, there's a real problem. What about, and I know that they're sort of in the news as well. The American conference, the AAC says we, we don't have a unifying confidence that we can get things together to, to keep our kids safe enough. We know we're going to take an enormous financial hit, but morally, we just, we can't do it. We just can't do it. And, you know, all the ADs and whoever else, presidents of these schools all agree. What does that do? You don't have a correct answer because nobody does, but do you think that it, it obviously has to carry significantly more weight than the Ivy or Patriot League, sure. Patriot League, who we love. 
I, I think I think it's probably inevitable at this point. I think they're trying to put it off as long as they can. Mm-hmm. And I do think it would have an effect. These are more games that teams who haven't already called off non-conference games mm-hmm. can't play. Right. So eventually you, you run out of teams. Yeah. And if, it, if the challenges are just too great to overcome, and if you're stuck playing your own conference, not always a bad thing. Stuck. Wow. I don't but, even know who that, that comment was directed at. Okay. But like ACC. That's, that, that's a significant challenge, especially if you have schools within your conference that may be unable to field a team for one reason yeah, or another. So I just... For sure. The, the pool of available teams is growing shallower by the second. And the, the more announcements that come out... Now, the, the AAC is not there yet. They could get there soon. Uh, for now, it's just a mandatory 72-hour testing protocol. But no, I think each one of these contributes and eventually we'll probably get to a point where someone serves as a straw breaking the camel's back yeah oh man i can't even oh can't even imagine what what sort of that that scenario playing out looks like i you know i'm thinking about college football teams in a bubble like what the nba mls to a lesser degree mlb is doing you know how much it must cost to put 100 120 150 people in a bubble even yeah. if they're a few re- different regional bubbles the nba is spending what 150 million or something crazy like that in orlando and they're they have positive tests and complications things like that i couldn't even imagine what it would cost it's to brutal. do that with football and i don't i don't does the nfl's not doing that right no they're just sort of, know of hoping for the best that's their best mechanism um yeah i oof, there's just there's no good answer as much as member institutions and the NCAA and conferences are trying. I, I, I feel for them and I, I feel for you, Ty. I do. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, no um, problem. The Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference has suspended yeah. all fall sports indefinitely because of the pandemic. They have yet to determine whether or not they're going to try and move the season to the 2021 spring semester. That's the MEAC. Right. That's teams like North Carolina A&T, Bethune-Cookman, Florida A&M, Howard, Morgan State. There's a whole bunch of uh, historically black institutions part of the BAC. So um, hopefully yep. they get to play football at some point in the academic year. Um, would love to see them play in the spring if at all possible. But for now, they've, they've made the decision that uh, not going to try and give it a go in the fall. Yeah, always crazy bum to hear about things like this, but glad they're enough out in front of this that hopefully they're figuring out contingency plans for a potential delayed season in late winter spring uh with with safety protocols in place if the world and the country is in a better place other news here dan perhaps we should have expected this but the ncaa has ruled that bowl eligibility for this season only can be a little bit different they approved a blanket waiver request for only this season. It allows all FBS teams to count two games, count them one, two, against FCS opponents that average at least 80% of the maximum amount of football scholarships during a two-year period. So there's a lot of words there. Okay. All you need yeah. to know is that previously, they only allowed FBS teams to count one game against an FCS opponent. And that opponent had to average 90% Mm -hmm. of the maximum allowable football scholarships during a two-year span. So again, more words, but one versus two, 
and 80% versus 90%. All you need to know. I'm not right now in mid-July anticipating a 2020 mayo bowl. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> The mayo bowl takes the brunt, man. They are taking the brunt here on this show. Hopeful for a season. Hopeful for some sort of season, whatever it looks like. Not anticipating a mayo bowl. Finally, the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to hold a hearing on Wednesday to focus on integrity of college sports and athletes' NIL rights. NIL, of course, standing for name, image, and likeness. It's been in the news. We haven't had a lot to talk about around that topic (laughs) simply because the news has been so inundated with coronavirus and pandemic stuff. But this is a big deal. This is a huge red blinking light staring down the NCAA, staring down college athletics as we know it. At Mm -hmm. some point, we'll probably put a show together and talk a lot more about it with people who actually know the subject matter through and through. But for the time being, uh, this is definitely going to get some prominence on the federal level. It will not be the last that you hear of it, as some states like Florida and California have already passed legislation that would allow college athletes to profit off of their likeness as early as next summer in some cases. So keep your eyes on this subject. It is not going away, and it's a big deal. Ty, I just have a few words for any student athlete potentially trying to monetize his or her name, image, or likeness, and that is stay away from our sweet, sweet Bombas sock cash. Those are all all ours. ours. All All ours. All the socks belong to us. Don't you touch it. Don't you touch it. That's all we got for news today. We'll be back again next week and talk about anything that happens over the weekend. If there is anything pertinent, please feel free again to send it to us out there on email, solidverbal at gmail.com or any one of the social channels I mentioned at the top of the show. Okay, so uh, I did an interview While you were in transit yesterday with our good friend, Pete Sampson, as I said at the top, he had just conducted an interview with Brian Kelly, really good interview with Brian Kelly, covered a lot of ground. It was good to catch up and talk Notre Dame, how Notre Dame fits into this current jigsaw puzzle we find ourselves in, trying to understand how college football may work this fall and beyond. And you you counted down all of your favorite Notre Dame playoff touchdowns, right? I did, all of them. Okay. Oh, I can't wait. All right, joining us now, it, it's been a while since we talked to him, but always a pleasure to welcome back Pete Sampson, the Notre Dame beat writer for The Athletic. Back to the show. Mr. Sampson, how you doing? I'm doing great. Like everyone else, just sort of hoping and praying that college football actually happens. What's your level of confidence that it does happen? Uh, this fall, really low. This um, This fall, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a spring season, and I... Yeah, I understand if you're a head coach that you're not talking up that possibility. I mean, you may say, yeah, we can make it work. But um, if you've got a roster that's training and working out, I don't think your first move is going to be like, yeah, guys, let's keep working hard. So we play this game in March. Um, so, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I get that. And I get if you're an AD, you're not pushing for it. But, uh, man, it's just you read sort of the the Pete Famel column from earlier this week. And that's, it, it just seems like it 
once you get people to tell the truth, it gets pretty dark pretty fast. We've seen this very pessimistic shift in mindset over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, like just a month ago, Dan and I were game planning how we were going to do our conference previews this year. And now I'm not sure if we're going to do them at all. I don't, I don't we don't know if it makes any sense to to do them. I know you talked to Brian Kelly earlier today, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. But I know you also talked to a lot of folks around the Notre Dame program and college football, just being at the athletic. But like, are you detecting any kind of optimistic swing in the other direction? I haven't heard it. Um, I, and I think it's it's interesting because like, if you look at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's not alone in this, but they've done about 250 COVID-19 tests and they've had one positive. Like if that was the, if that was sort of the normal everywhere, I think we'd have college football for sure, but it's not. And that doesn't even get to, you know, students getting it back on campus and what that's going to look like. So I, everyone that sort of talks to you on background, you, you feel that pessimism. Um, There's a little bit more optimism when people are on the record and have their name attached to the quote, but um, I do think that there's a, a movement and Brian Kelly, I touched on this with him when I talked to him, it's just like spring season, how would it work? Uh, and he talked about how in the ACC, uh, it's like Dave Clawson at Wake Forest was somehow in charge of modeling what a spring schedule would look yeah, how like. Did, how did Dave Clawson get that job? I don't know. I mean, pretty <laughs> smart guy. I mean, uh, I guess. I don't, uh, and Kelly was like, yeah, I like it. I can see how this could work. Um, you know, I talked to Chuck Martin. He was at Notre Dame a while ago, was at Miami, Ohio now. And he was, he was just, I want to play in the spring. It was almost like, I don't want to play in the fall at all uh, hmm. because things are so uncertain. So it, uh, I think it would definitely work. Uh, and I think my sense is we're getting to the point where the question is, is becoming less, do you want to play in the fall or do you want to play in the spring and more, do you want to play in the spring or do you not want to play at all? Right. Uh, and at the, in that scenario, you know, everyone's going to choose spring. Conferences don't want to overcommit and say that they are going to play in the spring because if they make a commitment to playing in the spring and then there's no season, they feel like maybe they left a little meat on the bone. Like maybe they could have gotten a few games in in the fall and instead of pushing it off to spring so early there, there was still a chance. I, I mean, like, how do you feel about the spring season? You talk to a lot of these guys. Dan and I, we've been talking about that possibility for months and certainly from a fan's perspective it's unique. It's interesting. It probably means a lot of downloads for us. Like I want this to be conducted responsibly and safely, mind you, but it's interesting. I haven't read much of anyone maybe outside of Lincoln Riley and, you know, a couple anecdotal quotes here and there from people who seem to be embracing the idea. Where, where do you come down on it? You know, we all would prefer the fall, right? But um, I just, I don't think that's a, as realistic an option as, as people want to make it out to be. I, you know, the, the spring drawback is the drawbacks that are advertised by people who don't want it is you're going to have a bunch of players go pro. Uh, I think that's just the cost of doing business in a spring season. That's, you know, you're making the best of a bad situation. What I don't, I'm not in line at all with this notion that, Oh, you, the players can't play two seasons in one calendar year. Cause I mean, what we're talking about, what a nine, 10 game schedule, is there really going to be two Duke's Mayo Bowls in one calendar year? Probably not. Yeah, um, and and by the way, since when do the wants and needs of the player really matter in the college football yeah, model? There's that too, right? I mean, suddenly it's very important. Yeah, I mean, not to be overly skeptical here, but since when is that a thing? 
Yeah. It, I just think that the, the players want to play. Uh, if you're playing 25 games in a, in a calendar year, you know, maybe you can do that. And these guys ultimately are going to go pro and play 20 games, 24 games in one fall. So I, to me, I, I feel like it's realistic that, uh, you know, you could play a, a two thirds, three quarters season in the spring and a full regular season in the fall and not come away thinking, man, we really great ground those players into the ground. Especially, you know, if you've got your early enrollees, you maybe you get some relief on that in the spring season where you're going to have seven, eight extra players on your roster. The NCAA gives you some, some leeway on the 85 man limit. I, I just think there's a lot of ways to work around it. If that's your only option. I saw our friend Bruce Feldman wrote about the possibility of guys sitting out a spring season for fear of hurting their draft stock. And I know you've written about it too. Now, you used Ian Book as an example, which um, <laughs> we could talk about that later, but it's a valid point. And from the Notre Dame perspective, I know there are a lot of guys, especially along the lines where I think uh, you discussed the potential issue for the Irish, but how, how do you see it affecting a team like Notre Dame? You know, I think it would be a negative most games, but a positive in games against Clemson or USC if you got to play that one. Um, you know, the idea of Ian Book not playing would be pretty devastating, whether you think he's a fifth round pick or a first round pick or an undrafted free agent, but that has more to do with what's not behind him. Um, would Liam Eikenberg, their left tackle, or Robert Hainsey, the right tackle, not play? I don't know. Um, that's that's kind of a that's a question that I would like to ask them. Um, but I don't I don't think no, like Notre Dame's roster as it's currently engineered is it does not have a lot of high draft picks on it. Right. After this, after this year, you know, if this was a year from now, would Kyle Hamilton play? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's got two years to go. So you're Notre Dame is Notre Dame stuck with him. Does Ian book think he's higher than like a fifth round pick? <sighs> that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think, I think that he does. That doesn't mean that he will be, um, you know, it's like his decision to come back was roughly 48 hours after the bowl game last year. So it's not a situation where I, I think that he sweated it out and was waiting on draft feedback. He, I mean, he's got to get a lot better. Yeah. So I, he's one of those guys where playing and showing that you've improved as a quarterback, I, I think would be worth significant dollars to him to come back. Shortly before we connected up, you did post a one-on-one -on -one interview with Brian Kelly out on The Athletic, a really wide-ranging interview. You covered a lot of ground from testing protocols to flex scheduling to this notion of spring football, et cetera, et cetera. I'm most encouraged by what seems like an upbeat tone there. Now, you touched on that a little bit. Was that palpable, that upbeat tone, or was I reading a little too much into it? Do you think it was real was it just because his name was associated with these quotes? Like where, what, where's your BS meter on that? He is, uh, he is an optimist in PR terms, um, in most of those media settings. So I, I think you have to, you have to adjust the dial a little bit on that. Okay. However, um, if they've done 250 tests and had one positive, um, I think they they do the next round, um, their next round of, results probably will come out this weekend. If they're still sitting there at one or two positives, 
and they survive the July 4th weekend when players maybe are getting a little bit more loose, I, th- I think they'll feel real confident. Um, then you just got to survive what happens when students come back mm-hmm. and, you know, how Notre Dame manages that. I mean, overall, if, if Notre Dame can't manage it this, I don't think anybody can manage it because we're talking about a campus of 12,000, not 50,000. Um, and, and I think as Notre Dame's administration would hope, like, Notre students, by and, war- by and large, with their uh, their Catholic upbringing, they follow the rules. Sure. Um, so if they if Notre Dame cannot make this work, it's uh, we're in dire straits. I think on a national level. Were there any surprises for you in in talking to Brian Kelly? Any of his answers surprise you? I don't know if anything really took me back, um, just based on having covered him for now going on eleven years. Um, I thought that you know, he is one to put himself out there. Like I, I didn't think that he was necessarily going to tell me about the the ACC spring scheduling model. Um, I sort of floated the idea of Notre Dame playing Alabama somehow, and <laughs> uh, his eyes got real big when I said that. But I, you know, I, I do think that um, you know his quote about our phones ringing off the hook with scheduling was significant because that was that was one of those storylines. As soon as the Pac-12 and Big Ten went conference only who's Notre Dame going to play. They're going to get left out. Um, right. I think they, they would, they could find 30 teams to play them um, and, and not break a sweat. So I, I don't think that that, that fear that a lot of Notre Dame fans had maybe a week ago is, is all that justified or has a whole lot of weight to it. Well, that, that was actually going to be my next question. So we're recording this. It's mid July. As of now, the games against Wisconsin, Stanford and USC have been canceled and it does seem like a bit of a foregone conclusion that other conferences are going to go the same direction. The internet has had a lot of fun with this, right? And you've seen the memes. I, I appreciate the, what is it? The confused John Travolta meme around Notre yeah. Dame and they're going to be left out and the season's going to be canceled for them and all that. But you seem to indicate, and I'm with you, that this is not at all grounded in reality. It's a fun internet storyline, but... Ultimately, if they've got to fill out a schedule, they're going to find a way to figure out a schedule. Yeah, at the end, for for how much posturing there is in college football, and we love that that dramatic effect that the ads and coaches have. There's a lot of money to be made off Notre Dame if you're playing them, and right now you you really want to make that money. Um, so I I just think that you know whether it's the ACC or it's another SEC school or maybe it's a Big Twelve school. Um, they're going to find a way to get Notre Dame in there and because it, it just is good for their bottom line. And I think if Notre Dame is, if Notre Dame get, gets word from the ACC is that says, Hey, we're going to give you Miami, Florida state, and let's throw Boston college in there for a uh, Phil Jacobic narrative story. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Notre Dame's just going to be like, okay, cool. Um, we'll take those extra three. We've still got Arkansas Navy and Western Michigan. That's our schedule. Let's, let's make it work. Um, so I, I, I think Notre Dame's in a, a fine spot, but yeah, it's, uh, when, when those PAC 12 and the big 10 start pulling out, you're like, Oh, who are you going to play? And it's like, all oh, right, everyone wants to play Notre Dame. Sure. Yeah. I, is there like a target that they've got in mind, like 10 games and that that would be okay financially or is it six games just an ACC schedule is it as many as possible because this is football and obviously like where have you heard any numbers like that thrown out 
I believe the target's going to be something closer to 10. I don't think that they have any intention to play 12. um, Because whether it's conference only or they're mixing and matching, the same principles apply that are working with the Big the Big Ten, the Pac-12, is you want some flexibility, you have to start and stop that the entire season doesn't get wrecked by that. So um, I, I, my hunch is they're shooting for about a 10-game schedule uh, based on people I've talked to. One interesting angle that Dan and I have talked about on the show is it, it would seemingly benefit a situation like Notre Dame has, frankly, where you've got a lot of veteran leadership. And I wonder if you've had a chance to talk to Brian Kelly or anyone around the program around how Notre Dame might come out of this. If they do end up playing any football, do you think there is any kind of tangible benefit just with the way the roster is constructed, knowing they've got that leadership? Yeah, it's, there could be a lot worse situations than the one Notre Dame is in. you got five starters back on your offensive line, third-year starting quarterback, uh, defensive coordinator in year three, uh, Reese, Tommy Reese, the new OC, but has been here for a while, knows the personnel, you know, Brian Kelly in year 11, it's, I, I'm sure there are some teams that have come out better than this. Like I would prefer to be Clemson because you'd have Trevor Lawrence, but <laughs> maybe, um, yeah, just, no, I'm, I'm going to say definitely Ty. Um, okay. I, I just think that if you're Notre Dame, you feel like, all right, we, we've got a puncher's chance in this. Like we don't have a major hurdle to overcome. I mean, even the starters that they're replacing on defense, there's a good chance they're going to replace them with two grad transfers, uh, one from NC state, one from Ohio state. So if, if you're, if you're plugging in new starters who actually have started 20, 30 games somewhere else, um, that's not a bad place to be either. So I think Notre Dame's roster is very, very old and it's coaching staff is stable. That's that, that would be good any season, but particularly with this off season. Two of the areas that I know I, I've looked at just in checking out the roster and the way it's constructed and certainly reading smart people such as yourself. The secondary is a bit of a concern. Kyle Hamilton can't play all the positions. So that's, you know, top of mind. And also the skill positions. They lose a lot at the receiving position. Um, a little bit of question around who's running the rock this year. What what does Reese do on offense that looks different if at all from what we saw under chip long i don't think it's going to be all that different um i do think chip long's offense was a lot more boom or bust like they and he was sort of content to take stuffs um you know the the read option stuff and it's tony jones for one yard jafar armstrong for two yards and then it would be Braden Lindsay for 50 yards on a jet sweep um so they're I think they need to be a lot more consistent than that. Um, you know, how Reese manages that, you know, does he do less read option stuff or is it, is it different? I'm not really sure. Cause we've only seen one game of it. Right. Um, but I, you can have your line back and your quarterback back, but I think Notre Dame's running back talent is, is pretty low compared to other playoff contenders. And they they turn over basically their entire receiver depth chart. So it's, there's a bit of rebuilding on the outside. Um, how that impacts how we judge Ian Book, I'm, I don't know. Um, I could see Ian Book being an improved player, but his statistics taking a step back um, because he's got receivers who have never really played before. Did it surprise you that they decided to ultimately go with Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator? Because there was a lot of scuttlebutt there. There were names thrown about 
ultimately he was the guy. It felt a little bit like they were afraid of losing him. What, what's your sense there, Pete? I wasn't that surprised about it. Um, I'm not sure I would describe the, the hire as like all that inspired. Um, it was kind of much more comfortable with Reese. I mean, Kelly coached him. Um, he's been on staff for a couple of years. The, the roster loves him. Um, and I, I do think he's going to prove to be a good hire. Uh, but his personality is so different from Chip Long. Um, I mean, Chip Long was sort of Brian Kelly circa 2011 uh, in terms of the way he <laughs> dealt with players. Um, Reese is you know, a lot more even keel about it. Um, and he has no, no real experience calling plays other than the Camping World Bowl. Um, <laughs> I think it, it was kind of one of those hires where I don't know if the player, I would say the players had a say in it, but um, the players definitely would have voted for Reese if they, if they did. As we wind this down here, Pete, um, let's circle back to the top. Give me on a scale of one to 10, your level of confidence that we're going to see more than six games in the fall. Like three, (laughs) pretty low. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And your level of optimism just personally around going to Notre Dame stadium, maybe for a game in mid-April. I'll go seven and a half. It's a little warmer, right? Yeah. Sometimes. Um, (laughs) I've I've covered spring games and blizzards before here. Um, I, I just think that the spring makes too much sense. Um, And, you know, I, I guess I sort of view it as the national trend lines is, Jack Swarbrick and Greg Sankey and all the you know commissioners that he seem to be pointing out now are like, are not good. Um, to give yourself another six months to turn this around, I think, guys, and I, I've, I've sort of said this to other people, it's like, if things aren't in a better spot six months from now than they are today, like whether college football is being played or not is, is maybe the least of our work. Yeah, I mean, we're all um, dead at that point. Yeah, so it's like, let's, I, I'd be happy to cover, uh, Notre Dame Clemson on April 7th or whatever day of the week that would be, that, that would be fine. Um, and I think that if you, if you'd say, Hey, sign this piece of paper, you will be guaranteed a spring football season. I would do it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the sport can, can manage it and it, it would give us something to look forward to. Well, we'll see, you know, whatever happens, it will, it will absolutely be fascinating and interesting to watch. Not as people who cover, but, as people who watch the sport and, and appreciate it as well. Um, come back soon, Pete. We, we need to talk more about Notre Dame. And obviously, once we get this whole scheduling thing figured out and know if we're going to play football or not, we'll have to talk more. But um, hope you're doing well out there and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Ty. Appreciate it. All right, Dan. Again, Pete Sampson, The Athletic. Check him out. One of my favorite Notre Dame beat writers. There are many. Yeah. There are many. But uh, Pete's been a friend of the show for a long time. Good to catch up with him. Um, the, the most interesting thing that he said in that interview, he talks about Brian Kelly and his media chops. I tend to think optimism publicly is real. Like I don't, I don't think people are sort of scripting what they're saying as much as people think. I know a lot of people are under the impression that college football coaches are, are full of I don't know if we have families listening to this, but full of crap kind of stuff. 
But I imagine you have to be able to get to a point as a college football coach where you're projecting positive energy and optimism because so much of the secret sauce of college football is culture and buy-in where I think you have to rewire your brain to project that sort of positivity. Even somebody who appears to be sort of a downer, I guess, like Nick Saban. Nick Saban might sort of appear like a downer, but he has earned the benefit of the doubt with the results of both his players individually and with team success that there is a certain amount of positivity just wrapped up in the Alabama program. And even if Nick Saban specifically isn't coming off as warm and cheery, I think he rubs his players in a, in a pretty positive way. And that's unfortunate framing and phrasing as I just hear myself say it out loud. But no, I, that, that's all a long-winded way of saying I, I think on a, on a very real level, it's genuine. Well, that's why I asked him about it. I thought it was yeah. an interesting tidbit that I took away from his interview going out to The Athletic and read it. Is that a dog barking I hear There is a dog you? barking in the background. Is she happy? Is she hungry? What is she? She's angry that about? she's angry that neither Kate nor I are downstairs with her at the moment. <sighs> Bitches be wanting attention, Ty. Yeah, I know. I've always been saying that. I have some sweet potatoes to take out of the oven myself, so we can we can wrap this up if you'd like. Let's wrap this up. I got to go see what's going on downstairs. Mm-hmm. For that guy over there, my good friend Dan Rubenstein. For myself, Ty Hildebrand. Big thanks to our guest of honor today, our good friend Pete Sampson from the Athletic. We'll be back in about a week. Hope everyone enjoys their weekend. Stay safe. Stay solid. In the meantime. No, wait. I screwed that up. I screwed up my own (laughs) outro. No, just leave this in here. Peace. Peace.